is my sexual revolution, revolution, sexual revolution. Hello and welcome to On the Dresser, your bi-weekly dose of sex, gender, culture, and politics. I'm Vanessa Carlisle. And I am Lauren Kylie. Sex, queers, politics, <laughs> sex work. It's all here on On the Dresser. What's on your dresser? It's an intimate space. It's a space where we sometimes pick up our money. Um, and this podcast is especially devoted to the health and well-being of sex workers as part of a larger community of sexual outlaws in this country. Today we're talking to Lola Davina, who wrote a book called Thriving in Sex Work. The, the face of the sex industry may, may just be this little, you know, tiny group of people who are willing to stick their necks out and be public about it. But the vast number of people who are doing sex work and purchasing sex. We are not a minority. We are a majority. Um, it's an incredible book. It's really wonderful. And I have a great conversation with her. And also, we'll be talking about HR 2219, the End Banking for Human Trafficking Act of 2018. This bill is sponsored by Representative Edward Royce, who comes from our own backyard in California. He is a representative from LA and Orange County, and what this bill does is creates more room to combat the money laundering for severe forms of sex trafficking, and has the added detail of adding the Secretary of Treasury to the President's Interagency Task Force to monitor and combat human trafficking. Wait, wait, wait. What does that even mean? Well, that's a really good question that we are still working out the answers to. But essentially, it means that Steve Mnuchin, who is just a fuckface, um, for lack of a better technical term, is now going to be on the task force. And this task force to ostensibly end human trafficking, but what we have seen through legislation and law enforcement is that in the name of human trafficking, they are mostly going after any sort of transactional sexual exchange. And we are talking about people who have made it very, very clear that they have no interest in the health and safety of sex workers or poor people or people of color or trans people. Whether or not any of those intersect, they do not care about the livelihood of any of them. And they have basically stated as much. So so this new bill is part of sort of a cluster of things that are happening right now. So um, you're going to hear a little bit later in my interview with Lola Davina, we talk about what we were calling SESTA. When we did the interview, they hadn't collapsed SESTA and FOSTA yet together. So now you're going to hear about FOSTA. Um, Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act. SESTA was the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act, and they were combined. Um, We've been covering SESTA and FOSTA on this podcast, On the Dresser, for a while. There's a couple of other places where there's really good information about it that's um, sex worker specific. But the point is that there's a lot of new legislation going on at the federal level that is aiming um, to end sex trafficking via ending 
the adult economies, like ending the adult economies at all. Um, And that's not something that the federal government usually does. The federal government has not been a part of legislating prostitution, actually. Prostitution itself has been something that the states have been free to, um, to create policy about on their own. So when we talk about trafficking, though, trafficking is now a federal crime. And this new bill would do what? Like it would make it harder for people to accept payment online? Is that what it would do? That seems to be the summary of how it's going to work practically in that the... I read the bill and it is frustratingly vague in that what it is trying to do is, in their words, shut down banking opportunities for any money that is profiting off sex trafficking. What I think that's going to mean in reality is shutting down banking opportunities for anyone making money off of sex work, which is... Which doesn't actually stop sex trafficking whatsoever. It's part of a larger project to make it harder for sex workers to get paid. We've seen this outside of outside of legislation. We've seen this with credit cards refusing to process sex work payments. We've seen this with and credit card processing that does still being very vigilant about what terms you can use. We've seen this in porn. We've seen this in advertising. And it, you know, we've seen this with PayPal shutting down sex workers' accounts. We've seen this with, they don't, they don't want sex workers to make money, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I, that sounds like it's this organized personal attack, but it's really starting to feel like one. Yeah. I mean, it, it also feels like, you know, this is a way to criminalize cash, Mm-hmm. <laughs> the use of cash. So sex workers aren't the only people who rely on cash, but uh, we're part of a larger, you know, cash economy. And so when you're making cash deposits or if you're accepting payments, like you can't accept payments for adult services through PayPal. Like they just mm-hmm. won't even, even legal ones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so even if you're doing legal work, which most sex workers that I know sort of go back and forth across the line because the way that legal work and illegal work is defined changes based on what city you're in, what state you're in. Maybe one activity that you do all the time in one place, you go do it in another place and now it's illegal. It's actually kind of confusing what's legal and illegal, right? So for people who are accepting payments online, this becomes a real issue if the federal government now has a new way of tracking um, where the money is and where the money's going. And, you know, I, I mean, I prefer cash anyway, just because I like, I like not feeling like big brother is looking at everything that I spend a dollar on. But at the same time, like, I really want to be able to do some work online. I want to be able to run a business that has a website front and, you know, sell photos or whatever. And it does feel like, if the if the cover story is always trafficking, then the bills are always going to get passed. And then the people who are going to actually suffer the consequences, whether they're intended or not, are, are going to be consensual adult sex workers. Like that just seems like really clear now. <laughs> right. Like that's something we're definitely seeing happen, especially with especially with a bill like this one. And I think this might be an occasion where people doing legal work are actually going to feel the effects in 
a stronger way because people doing legal work are more likely to be paid digitally and less likely to be paid in cash. Some of the ripple that we've seen through FOSTA and SESTA, FOSTA slash SESTA, has been closing down of banks for webcam shows, particularly for webcam models based outside of the U.S. or who really got hurt with that, who already have less banking options, less options of accepting payment. So the more we limit those options, then we're just cutting out people receiving money for work they've done. And I don't, I want to be really careful about not not saying and or implying in any way that legal work is somehow better or superior. It's just a different classification. Um, and that's something that I think gets really tricky in here, where people doing legal work, these this will still affect you. This, in some ways, uh, this banking bill, I think, is a target, I think... I might just be being paranoid, but for me, what this reads as is a continuation of the argument that all sex work, all sexual exchanges for money is the equivalent of sexual exploitation. And we've seen that argument come up through the passing of FOSTA. We have seen it gain more traction. And that is really disturbing to me that it's so, you know, so they went after the advertising. Now they're going after the money. And the harder they make it for sex workers to do their jobs, the more dangerous it becomes. It's so interesting to have the conversation that I had with Lola because um, Lola Davina, the author of Thriving in Sex Work, Heartfelt Advice for Staying Sane in the Sex Industry, um, said that she's really been encountering a lot of um, people who are ready for sex work to be a respected profession, for it to just be work, for it to be, you know, decriminalized. She's seeing a lot of people who have values around that, and she's been very heartened by it. And so, you know, one thing she says in her in in her interview is that she was really shocked by SESTA that she didn't see SESTA or FOSTA coming because. In her work, she's been exposed to these communities of of care and support. So it's good to remember that there's also a lot of people out there who think this is wrong, who think that, you know, we should not be hunting the sex workers, that that's not the right thing to do with our law enforcement money. Um, And so we're we're alarmed and we're angry and we're worried about this stuff, but we're also really doing amazing things in our own communities to take care of ourselves. Um, I think... We're seeing a lot of our allies become a little bit more active. And um, so, you know, on the, on the positive, I guess, is just that with repression comes resistance. And so Lola Davina is a person who wrote a book that was really designed for a sex worker who's feeling alone, who doesn't necessarily have a lot of community, who's trying to figure out how to feel supported. Um, and it's just a really wonderful book. If you're in the sex industry, I highly recommend it. If you're not in the sex industry and you want to understand a little bit more of what it is we struggle with, um, it's a great book for allies, particularly, I think, for partners um, who are living with and emotionally supporting a sex worker in their life. Um, so anyway, I recommend the book really highly and, um, we do talk about SESTA in the interview. It has since been renamed. Both SESTA and FOSTA were combined into one piece of legislation that um, you know ha- has now been signed into law, and it's being called FOSTA now in total. So if that's confusing, I'm sorry. We recorded this before that 
before that co- combination happened. Um, so the legislation that we're talking about in the beginning of the interview is FOSTA. Um, so yeah, let's get to know Lola. Hello, On The Dresser listeners. You have a very special treat today. I'm here with Lola Davina. Will you please introduce yourself? <laughs> Hi, Vanessa. I'm so happy to be here, and I'm so happy to be talking to your listeners today. I, I My name is Lola Davina, and I'm a former sex worker. Um, I started out as a baby stripper, oh, almost 30 years ago, and uh, I progressed to uh, doing some domination, some porn work, and then eventually ended up escorting. That was really kind of where I found myself. That was that was kind of the, the sweet spot for me. Um, I've been retired for about 13 or 14 years now, but um, last year I published a book uh, entitled Thriving in Sex Work, Heartfelt Advice for Staying Sane in the Sex Industry, uh, a self-help book for sex workers. Uh, I wrote the book because I felt like there was a need. There was... I wrote the book that I wish that I had when I back when I was an itty bitty baby sex worker. Um, it, it was actually um, upsetting to me uh, before I started writing the book. I, I um, somebody was suggesting something about some self care issues around sex work, and I thought, oh well, I'll just get online and I'll just you know look and see what's you know what I'll just I'll just look and see what's available for all the for all the self help and self care sex work related stuff that I'll find. <laughs> and I was just like kind of. <sighs> And it's not to say that people aren't talking about the issue in their personal blogs and, you know, and, and talking about this stuff, but like nobody had written the book. And I was just like, nobody's written the book yet. Like, how could that possibly be? So, uh, I took it upon myself to do it myself. So here I am. And, um, I'm delighted. I'm delighted to be talking with you today. The notion that you can thrive in sex work is actually completely in opposition to the way that sex work is being um, portrayed all, always as trafficking in the media, yes. right? So we right. have right. only the option of trafficking going right. on. And then we do have, I think, in the last couple of weeks, I've definitely seen some mainstream media outlets publish sex worker writers or people who are sympathetic who are saying, look, consensual adult workers are getting harmed by this legislation. Yes. So we yes. are seeing that out there. Um, unfortunately too late. I mean, I feel, I feel like, I feel like the Cessna thing just kind of, I think it, it happened so fast. There wasn't even really time. I think, I, I think I found out about it. I'm not exaggerating about two weeks before it passed the house. And, and then it was in the Senate for what, two and a half weeks. It happened so fast. It wasn't time to even kind of rally, a a, 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 a response in the press, um, I mean, I feel like the press is just catching up now mm-hmm. uh, with even the implications of this law. All of a sudden, everyone kind of looks around and goes, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just did this thing. It's interesting because there was actually a lot of sex worker activism happening around SESTA, but they couldn't get press about it because it hadn't passed yet and nobody cared. So there was definitely a movement to deal with it happening beforehand, but the um, but the publication wasn't happening because the implications weren't clear. You know, so sex workers were saying, this is bad. This is bad. Electronic Freedom Foundation was saying this is bad. But um, it was like, okay, so some people in tech and some people in the sex industry don't like it. That wasn't enough. That wasn't for the the media to really pick it up. And then once, you know, boom, back page, like now we get to speak. 
I know. And all, and all of a sudden, everybody sits up and goes like, well, Craigslist? My grandmother uses Craigslist. I mean, like, all of a sudden, you're, you're like, you know, like, well, I don't care if some sleazy sex site goes down. That's probably good. But, you know, you're you're messing with my ability to, like, date people on Craigslist. It's like, yes, that's what we're talking about. I, you know, I've talked to a First Amendment, Amendment lawyer who's a friend of mine all about this, and he thinks that this is, will be challenged in court. There, There's going to be you know, this, this is, none of this is over yet. Parts of the law may be, you know, held in abeyance while it's working, working its way through the courts. Um, it may, you know, end up in the Supreme court because it's, let's put it this way. If, if I bought a gun from Walmart, uh, through the internet, they would be held liable if I go up and, and shoot a whole bunch of people. It's a third party. It's a third party business liability. It's a bank shot that you don't see in any other industry. We are going to be dealing with the implications of SESTA for a very long time. It's interesting because a lot of us who used Backpage, um, I think none of us would have been like, oh, yeah, Backpage is wonderful. Like right, Backpage right. was a pain in the ass. Like it, they made you use Bitcoin. And there were all these reasons why it was a real difficult place to advertise and an annoying place to advertise, but it also was such a marketplace that um, I I think that for sex workers now who are trying to take care of themselves in the wake of all of this, um, it's hard not to be nostalgic for when there was a marketplace where you could just go and make yourself visible. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a rupture that I haven't seen in almost 30 years in the sex industry. I don't have anything to compare it to. There's nothing I there's nothing I can compare this to what we're going through right now. As a person who's who's made a, a, you know, a career now out of thinking about sex workers self care. What are some of the wisdoms from the book that are, are like particularly useful now? Well, I think I mean, this is just going to sound so remedial and basic, but just even just going back to first principle and just say, look, when we are dealing with such a stressful time, um, sex work is emotional labor. That is the core of what we do. We can get all wound up in bodies and, you know, who sticks what and where, but really the core of the work that we do is emotional labor, connecting sexually with other people. And whether with it's one person who's in the same room with you or thousands of people online um, to, and I'm placing my hand kind of over my solar plexus and just kind of patting it and just saying like, we need to take care of ourselves. And I know I, this is, this is incredibly stressful. It's incredibly painful for a lot of people. Um, and just to acknowledge that to be good to yourself during this time, to reach out and try and be kind to each other the best that we can. Um, I know all of this sounds really simplistic and basic, but um, I'm seeing a lot of this online. I'm seeing a lot of people reaching out, a lot of community, a lot of kindness, to remind ourselves that the sex industry has always been under assault. It has always been under a microscope. It has never been fully out in the light, or if it has been, only in, you know, very conscribed places on very limited periods of time. We have all operated under this and yet we have survived. I really encourage people to lean on their clients, to be kind to them, to support them, to ask them to start thinking about how it is that they're letting the government take away how they like to play sexually. It's not just our Mm -hmm. job to figure that out, that there is a demand side that has some accountability and Mm -hmm. some 
has has stakes. They are stakeholders in this situation. And how can they step out into the light? How can they use their power to help us? Take care of yourself. Reach out for help. Ask for support. We need to be there for one another. And we also need to think of this time as a time to really say, look, the voluntary sex industry is vast. It is enormous. On an order of magnitude, it's at least twice the size of Hollywood. And you think about how much Hollywood impacts our entire lives, our entire culture. You think there's twice as much money on an annual basis in sex industry. You realize how many people's lives this, this, this is touching. We are not alone. We're not some t- we, the, the face of the sex industry may, may just be this little, you know, tiny group of people who are willing to stick their necks out and be public about it. But the vast number of people who are doing sex work and purchasing sex we are not a minority. We are a majority. <laughs> and someday we're going to wake up to that fact and start thinking about the sex industry in those terms rather than just like this tiny little group of weirdos and queers who are off in the corner doing their little freak show. It's like, no, actually, we live amongst you, all right. of you, everywhere you look. One thing I really liked about your book was the section um, on shame and stigma and the mm-hmm. and the way that you articulated um, the difference and how important it is to sort of tease out the difference. Do you feel mm-hmm. like, can you talk about that? A Absolutely. Bit? Yeah. No, thank you. That was one of, that's, I would probably have to say that was probably my personal favorite part of the book. Um, I, I really felt my voice strong. I had some shit I wanted to say on that subject. Um, so I, we, we understand culturally that the sex industry is shameful. That is something that we're raised with, from the time we're tiny, we associate people who display themselves sexually as shameful. Um, and yet there is this group of us who choose this line of work. We step into it, into our power. We do it because we love it. Not maybe we don't love every bit about it. We don't love every day of it. Um, so who are, what does it mean to like step into the shame place and to be without shame? right? Um, To say I'm a sexual person and that's how I feel alive and I have this gift that I can give to other people and they respond to it and and they love it. Um, And at the same time, still navigate the fact that culture is going to attempt to shame us for that. So how do we hold all that? And that, that making that distinction between shame that we hold and saying like, I'm bad, I'm dirty, I'm wrong, I'm doing this terrible thing, Versus what the culture says, you're bad, you're wrong, you're disgusting, um, which is stigma, stigma coming from the outside. Um, And just saying, even as sexual adventurers, even as people who love to do this work, we can still hold stigma. We can still hold that uncomfortable sensation of knowing that people judge us and don't like us and think they know something about us when they don't. Um, And just, just, just coming right out and just acknowledging it, saying that that's okay. I can, I can sit here and say that I worked as a sex worker for years. I loved the work. I know I helped people. It was a good job for me. And yet at the same time, I also know that I have told people that and I have felt icked out and slimed and bad about myself because of their reaction. Mm-hmm. And to hold that as like sort of like the internal truth and the external Right. You know, and kind of separating those two things out. And sometimes we have to protect ourselves, you know, and that's OK. It doesn't mean that we're ashamed. It means we don't want to deal with other people's bullshit. And that's all right. Yeah. And that gets very tricky when something happens in the work that doesn't feel good. 
Yes. Right. So you just described a process that I feel like I've been through a lot about queerness uh-huh. where something happens, it feels bad. And then I just look inside and I'm like, nah, I'm fucking queer and that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, that's how it is. It feels <laughs> yeah. sucks to have people hate you or, or think they know things about you or, or yeah, it, it, it still hurts to be slimed. Right. But, but with sex work, sometimes something happens that I feel responsible for, or I feel like I messed it up, or I feel like, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to go down that spiral in sex work for me because I'll have a bad client or I'll have a, you know, and I'll think like I could have prevented this or I did something wrong here. Sometimes the situations really are ugly and it's like, well, you chose it. You chose it. You're telling people you chose it. So what does that mean about you that you chose this thing that's so ugly? When I talk about shame, I, I talk about fucking up. I say, you know, you know, sometimes we all, no matter, again, no matter how boss we are, we fuck up, we forget to count the money, we get caught in a lie, you know, we do things, we let ourselves down one way or the other, or we, you know, even we think, you know, some client is going to be perfect and they walk in the door and they're total psychos and we think like, oh my God, how did I miss it? How did I miss it? Yeah. Right. And so we take, we, we take that on, right. You know, it, it's absorbing that, that we absorb the badness into ourselves. We, we did something wrong. Well, and all I can say to that, and, and I could just like, if, you know, like if, if I were a needlepoint stitcher, I would like make a needlepoint pillow and just say, look, sex work is hard. <laughs> it's just hard. Okay. And it's, you turn people on for a living. It's going to get deep and it's going to get complex. And the right thing to do is not always easy to know. It just isn't. And so just stepping back and, you know, I talk a lot about the book. I use the phrase over and over again, the notion of being your own best friend, right? So like when you find yourself going down in that place, you just go like, okay, Lola, okay, Vanessa, here I am. I'm in my shame place. Now I'm going to, now part of me is going to step back and off to the side and be the best friend, the, the observer who says, okay, I know how you're feeling right now, but I just got to say from the outside looking in, you didn't fuck up, you know? bad shit happened, you know, and just having that sense of being your own best friend who just says, you know what, sex work does not come with a beginner's manual. It's not always no easy to know the right thing to do. It's good to hear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just good to hear. It is. It's good to hear. We all need to hear it. We, I, and we need to do it for ourselves and we need to do it for each other. Yeah. So that I think is a good transition to talking about the new book. Oh yes. The workbook. I did not set out to write a workbook. Um, but I have a lovely, lovely editor, um, by the name of Felicia Godhelf, who, um, when she was helping me edit the, the book, the first book, um, she came to me with this proposal and she said, you know, um, I really think there's so much material in here that would naturally lend itself to more exercises and stuff. And maybe you, you don't want to load up the first book because otherwise it's going to be 600 pages long and no one's, you know, going to want to read it. But maybe you need, for those people who like workbooks, maybe you need like an adjunct, you know, uh, set of exercises and stuff. And I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, that just seems kind of out there and crazy. But I just have to tell you, once the book went out into the world, I got so much concrete feedback of people telling me how important the exercises were and what it meant to them to actually do them. And it was like a light bulb went on in my head and I was like, Oh my gosh, Lola. Yes. People like reading you going blah, blah, blah. But you know what, actually what's really a gift is to give them the ability 
to tell the story of sex work to themselves, right? Not just to sit there and receive wisdom, but to talk it through, to have this conversation, to have to say, have somebody ask a question and then to give the response and you know, to have to think these questions through for yourself. And that's what sold me on it. And then Felicia went ahead and illustrated the whole thing and she did this incredibly gorgeous job. And I, I don't know if you had a chance to see the book, but I'm so proud of it. And she, I mean, the book without Felicia's illustrations would have been a disaster and like a dry nightmare, but it's lovely and beautiful and hand to hand illustrated, um, with so much love. Um, so yeah, I'm really, I'm really glad it's out there. And it's kind of like this crazy, weird side project and like, do sex workers need workbooks? Well, I, we're going to find out. You're talking about it from a sort of individual health perspective. Yes. Right. Right. If you imagine, you know, a couple million people who are in some way connected to the sex industry if if um, half of those started feeling self-empowered, self-loving, um, were able to set boundaries and keep them, felt like they deserved to defend their bodies if they were under attack, all of that, the self-defense aspect that you mentioned in the book, like if everybody was doing that, there would no longer be as much room for stigma because, because there literally just wouldn't be room for it. Because the the love, the self-love would take up more space in the rooms, Oof. you know? <laughs> like, that's what I see like, when I'm looking at your work. Tears. Well, it's really kind of you to say that. I, I, I did, I mean, I love what you're, what you're reflecting back is to say that, you know, if the idea goes out into the world, then it, it starts having this kind of cumulative power. I know when I wrote the book, there was this sense that I, as a, like, a person who was living alone or most of the time worked alone. I was, I, I was very fortunate. I had good friends. I had good support network, you know, friends who worked and stuff. But even then I struggled, you know, and I wanted to write a book that was talking directly to someone at three o'clock in the morning when they're having the horrors, when they have no one else to talk to Like that was really, I wanted the book to be a support system for sex workers kind of at their lowest ebb. Um, but I love what you're saying that, yes, there is this other bigger, broader idea, which is just to say simply, look, voluntary sex work, just the idea that I'm going to be sexual for a living and reach out and connect with other people because they want to be sexual with me. Um, it's just simply a job that we could have in the world and have it not harm anyone. Yeah, that's, that would be really great if more people could actually get there and Mm -hmm. see what that looks like Mm -hmm. and believe in that. For sure. How important do you think decriminalization is to that? So I don't hold myself out as an expert on this question. I, I am passionate from the standpoint that I believe that if you decriminalize sex work, you re- it, there's a lot of good that comes from it. You reduce the fear, you reduce the stigma, you reduce the violence, you reduce the, the you, you make it, you empower sex workers so that they know that they can work in safe working conditions. When, when something bad happens, they can go to the police. I just simply believe that when you make criminals out of people, even for their own good, right? Ostensibly, this is to help people, right? This is ostensibly so that we're saving people from a life of being sex trafficked um, and working against their will, that you, when you criminalize them, you make them second-class citizens. And how can that possibly be to their benefit? Being able to use your body in order to make money is something that, you know, throughout human history, people have done. And again, to make that a criminal act, 
you are punishing the people who are most vulnerable. And I, and I just, to me, that is morally wrong. There is no justification for it. We should be free to earn money as we please. Thanks for saying that. You know, this is sex worker led media. So you get to say things you may not have been able to say other places. Oh, gosh. So just, wonder, just wondering if there's anything okay. on your mind. <laughs> oh, golly. I mean, that's just so kind. I mean, one of the shocks of SESTA has been like, I've been operating and floating in this little bubble where I'm not only dealing with, you know, interacting with the sex worker world, which is, you know, very empowering and wonderful, but also a lot of sex positive, mm-hmm. non-sex worker people. And everyone's just so ready to have sex work be more accepted. And then SESTA comes blowing it out of nowhere. I'm like, what? I'm sorry. I just spent the last year kind of being like, we're, we're turning a corner here, folks. Things are getting better. So, um, again, there's a lot of work to do. Um, I, you know, I think there will be backlashes to the backlash and there will be a backlash after that. It's always a pendulum. This is a gross overgeneralization, but it does seem that to me that if you're under the age of 25, everyone is online masturbating on the internet. I mean, everyone is camming. There's so much camming. And um, uh, I just have a feeling that with all of these young people, all of these millennials coming through, having done tip their toe, at least into sex work at some point in their lives, that there's going to be a very different attitude 25, 50 years from now. Now it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while for all the dinosaurs to die. But I do believe that that's the trend that we're heading into is is that people just are there and they're more comfortable with just the notion of porn, that people make porn, that people are looking at porn, that people are masturbating. Oh my fucking God. I mean, the, the amount of acceptance around even just the notion of masturbating has just changed so much in, in, you know, the last 20 years, mm-hmm. you know, where it was like literally something that nobody talked about and nobody ever cop to. And now everyone's just kind of like, yeah. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Yes, absolutely. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Me, yeah. Uh, anytime. I'm, I'm, I would love to talk to you again. So, so how can people find you if they want to follow up? Yes. So uh, you can find me at loladavina.com, just like it sounds, L-O-L-A-D-A-V-I-N-A.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm busy on the twits all the time. And um, don't be a stranger over on Facebook. Um, Feel free to hit me up with a friend request. All I ask is that you DM me first, please. Um, Yeah. And uh, I have, uh, I am right now as we speak, recording the audio book version of thriving and sex work. I hope to have that available in the fall. And I'm currently writing the follow-up um, thriving in sex work, sex work and money, which I am, uh, which is going to be all about money and sex work, which cool. no to say about that at all. Cause it's a tiny little topic with nothing. There's nothing to even, even say about it. Um, no, it's a big, huge project. I'm really, I, I'm very excited working on it. I've got about 12 collaborators throughout the sex industry and people on financial stuff who are helping me write it. Um, and that I'm hoping to have out by this time next year. So I am not slowing down. I'm accelerating. So excellent. Really good to hear. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Vanessa. That was Lola Davina. 
She's the author of Thriving in Sex Work, Heartfelt Advice for Staying Sane in the Sex Industry, and a new Thriving in Sex Work workbook that's coming out. Um, I really enjoyed talking to her. It was like, she's just very positive. She was like really hopeful. (laughs) You know, it was nice. It is so exciting to read a self-help book and workbook that actually applies to me because I have a mother who likes to send me self-help books that have been on a spectrum of helpfulness, but this this is the first one that I've read where I'm like, yes, these are the exact problems I'm having. This is very good advice for dealing with them. I really really love all the emphasis that she puts on building a community of sex workers, having friends, colleagues, mentors who who understand what's going on. And that has been, that's been something that, you know, we've been saying and advocating for you know, as long as I've known you, as long as I've been in sex work activism, that has been the goal is just put a bunch of sex workers in a room and it's still something I really firmly believe in. So it's nice seeing that validated. Yeah, I agree. And I also love that she puts some emphasis on self-defense. There's just like a very brief section of the book where she's like, take a class, no excuses. You know, like there's just something about including, you know, preparation um, as part of your self-care. That your self-care isn't just about like take a bath and you know, watch your show. Like, I mean, I do really like the fact that like smoking a joint and watching TV is considered self-care right now. That just seems so great. Um, (laughs) Like we all, I think would prefer to do it as self-care than to do it as guilt. Yes. (laughs) Um, However, the advice in the book is a lot more about um, not just recuperating from what you've been through as a sex worker, but building yourself up to be stronger, more resilient, to actually be able to handle what's coming your way differently. And that I really appreciated a lot, that it's not just about like, how do you, um, you know, how do you maintain or how do you stay basically functional? No, it's about thriving. Mm -hmm. And that was a really like, that's, that's clear when you talk to her, like there's something very special about keeping your eye on thriving as opposed to just getting by. I met someone who's been working in porn for a long time recently, who I respect a lot. Um, Tina Horn, who has the podcast, Why Are People Into That? Super awesome podcast. Hopefully I can get her on this one sometime (laughs) soon. Um, But I was thinking about like how much specialized knowledge Tina Horn has about like butts, just in, in addition to many other things. But she teaches classes on like anal health and anal cleaning and how to, how to do butt sex. And like her, the, People don't even recognize that there's so much knowledge to have about parts of the body outside of the medicalized way, right? Mm-hmm. Like we have a medic, we have an understanding of there being knowledge coming from the medical world, but it's very difficult, I think, for people outside of the sex industry to understand that we understand the body through its capacity for pleasure, mm-hmm. that we understand the body through its intense sensation. In BDSM, it's not always straight pleasure, right? Sometimes there's, there's pain or there's, um, discomfort involved. So sometimes it's queer pleasure. Sometimes it's queer sometimes, but, but the intensity that we're looking for intense sensation and that we're looking for ways to encourage and or control intense sensation. And that that's like a really different way of knowing a body or understanding a body. Um, and so I, I think that there's a lack of cultural understanding of, of that 
as a power. And so when I think about sex workers rising into power, it's definitely one of the things I'm thinking about is the way that sex workers know how to interact with bodies in very powerful ways. Um, and, you know, I also, I mean, when, one of the things that I've been saying since Fosta passed was just like, we own all their dick pics. We yep. own them. <laughs> like, I'm not encouraging anyone to blackmail, except perhaps I am. Like, there's, there's a... There's a mandate, I think, on us to understand where our power lies. And the fact that it doesn't necessarily lie in our finances is real. Like, you know, most sex workers, I I was reading about the economies and most sex workers end up making basically minimum wage. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like don't have any illusions about sex work being like the great solution to financial woes. I mean, it does help and you can you know, people can use it to rise out of poverty or to, or to pay off debt. And that's real, but really for the most part, it's, it's hard. (laughs) And sex workers tend to be like, you know, working class. And so if that's the case, then the power is going to come from other areas. The power is going to come from like the time and energy and investment that we have in ourselves and in our communities and how well we take care of each other and ourselves and how resourceful we are when we don't have everything that we need right in front of us, we know how to figure it out, right? The resilience, all of those things are incredible, um, like resources that, that we can find in sex work communities. And so, yeah, just lifting that up and, and being able to hear Lola Davina's take on that was really cool too. Just the sense that we have, um, we have what we need, you know, we have ways to take care of ourselves and each other that something like FOSTA can scare us, can, can come in and harm us, but it, it can't take that away. I really like the idea that not only do we have all their dick pics, but we are, we as sex workers define the vocabulary that they all jerk off to. <laughs> we, not just in porn, but in our advertising, in our sessions, in our conversations, we actually get to set the tone and vocabulary of their of what men get hard on. Mm-hmm. And that that could be a great power. I mean, it's let's be honest, it's mostly going to be puns. Like <laughs> that that's that's what's going to happen. But I do think that there is this a collective power of we get to make our own fantasies too and we get to we get to impose them upon you <laughs> and and that means when we're lifting each other up we can do we can do it uh, i mean there's got to be a bright spot to not having access to traditional resources for community organizing and one of them is that we don't have to do it their way or by their rules we can center the most marginalized we can center the most vulnerable we can create our own self-defense curriculum that we can do in high heels and latex pencil skirts yeah Hmm. what are some tactics you use for self-care like what are some of the things that you feel are you know real go-tos for you honestly cute animal pictures I've Mm-hmm. Got a couple different threads, uh, some online, some personal, where when I'm feeling really bad, I know who I can send pictures of my pets to, and I know who to ask for, hey, I need something to make me smile. And it's not just that then I get an inbox flooded with kittens, which is always a good thing for me. I'm very, very pro cute animal pictures just in general. Cats, dogs, goats, llamas, big fan. 
But it's also just knowing that there's other sex workers who care and care enough to even send a heart emoji or, hey, I'm sorry that you're in a bad place. I would like you to not be in a bad place. Mm-hmm. Even that kind of message, I think, has been really, really big for me because, you know, the Lola was talking about that sort of internalized shame and guilt that you can feel as a sex worker. And then especially if you're someone who is very vocal about loving sex work and finding strength in sex work, we still have bad days and there's a level of guilt there sometimes of I should not be having a bad day because this is what I've chosen to do with my life. Therefore, I should be somehow... My internal monologue occasionally tells me I should be strong enough to never be upset about anything, which is ludicrous and not always healthy and especially around sex work I when something goes wrong I almost always start from a place of guilt and having friends and loved ones even when it was my fuck up having people say you maybe you fucked up you are not a fuck up Mm -hmm. sex work has not fucked you up Yeah. yeah that's yeah So find something that makes you smile and friends that care about you, I guess. Yeah, one thing I've learned, and I I feel like it's taken me over a decade um, to learn this. And so I, you know, I say this with a a lot of tenderness towards people who don't do it. (laughs) But one thing that I have learned over the years is that I have to schedule recovery time, not just from sessions um, or clients or, you know, like it's good to have you know, um, it's good to have time after doing sex work to kind of like come down from it, recover from it, take care of my body, all that. But I mean, real recovery time, like, um, a day, (laughs) even if I can take a full day, um, that sometimes when I do, especially now that I'm doing pro, uh, domination, one of the things that happens is that I get very focused, very, very, very focused and the hours that I'm prepping and the hours that I'm sessioning and in the hours right after where I'm coming down, it's the only thing I'm doing. And that means that I need time afterward to reemerge into the rest of my life. Um, and I, I definitely spent a lot of my life requiring myself to move from a high intensity event to another high intensity event, basically with only time in the car. To recover or something. Mm-hmm. You know, I've changed my clothes and done my makeup in more public bathrooms and back seats than <laughs> I, I mean, just, you know, and it's kind of romantic and it's kind of cute, but it also eventually that wears on you. Right. And so um, it's a privilege to be able to take time off. I understand that. I also understand that like nobody actually can be going, going, going all the time, um, you know, ev- even with chemical support. Mm-hmm. you eventually have to rest. And so being a little bit more conscientious about scheduling rest and, and actually having it be something that I put on my calendar, that's been a big change for me, and it's really helped me a lot. I've had to do something similar with scheduling food and, <laughs> yeah. and actually putting things like eat lunch on my to-do list yeah. and holding myself accountable with with my... <laughs> with my group of sex work community and friends yeah. where I, you know, it's like, no, I, I need to tell you, Hey, I ate lunch today mm-hmm. sometimes because sometimes that's a major victory. Yeah. 
Thanks so much on the dresser listeners for joining us today for this conversation about thriving in sex work. As always, we are grateful for your interaction, your comments. Um, you can catch on the dresser, uh, on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, on Google Play. If you listen on iTunes, please do just take five minutes, five minutes or less. Give us a rating, write us a sentence of support. It makes a big difference for us as we try to grow in 2018. And please get in touch with us. Story ideas, signal boost, comments. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you didn't like. You can send your thoughts in text or even record a note on your phone. You can email us at onthedresser at gmail.com. And you can find us on social media, on the Twitter, at onthedresser. Our production team is myself. I'm Vanessa Carlisle. I am Lauren Kylie, and we are another the other facet of our production team is Danny Cruz. All of our music is produced by Lou Gomez. Thank you. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at XOXO Lauren Kylie. You can find me at V Carlisle on the Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. All power power to to the the people. people. All All pleasure pleasure to to the people. people. Good night and good fuck. fuck.